Let's, let's open with prayer, and I do feel this is an important word, and it's connected to what God's going to do in the future. Now, again, I don't know exactly when everything is going to f- be fulfilled that God said he's going to do, but I do know that he will do it, and when he does it, it'll be his timing to do it. And even though we don't always like his timing because it seems to take longer than we want, it's still his timing, and he's, he knows what he's doing, Amen. So this sermon's going to go along with that. Those of us that are believing God for a move of his spirit that is definitely coming. So Lord, as we come in Jesus' name and through his blood, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for the open heaven that your glory is here. Lord, that your power come down in an awesome way. Holy Spirit, as you move in this time, I thank you, Lord, by the spirit of God moving upon every one of us, everybody hearing, everybody watching, the Holy Spirit move upon us and help us to have good soil of hearts and minds and lives, eyes and ears of the Spirit, uh, minds that are tuned into the Lord. The Holy Spirit will help us. And I thank you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit opening up our understanding to understand the Bible. And even as you speak through me tonight, everything that needs to be said as living seeds of truth sown into that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, they will, those seeds take root in people's lives, grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Help us, Lord, to remember and apply the word and not just be hearers but doers. And also thank you for the wind of the Spirit carrying this out among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to because the Bible says it will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you sent it for it to do. And so we take authority as a church. Anything that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to accomplish and what's supposed to be anything of the devil, we speak right now in Jesus' name that it is bound and it will back off. And, Lord, I thank you for it now. We believe it. We expect it. In Jesus' name we pray that everything will be accomplished, that your will to be done through this time. Amen. All right, so just recapping, I did teach on prayer. I may need to do a little bit more about that in different ways. But prayer, faith rather, is the key to powerful prayer. So last week, uh, I did cover a lot about how to pray effectively. So please apply that. That's one of those, don't just be a hearer, but a doer. Take that and begin to use that pattern. I promise you, it will deepen your prayer life. It's helped me through the years, and even now, I use it all the time. And I always feel when I've gone through everything, I always feel a sense of uh, that I have prayed everything I need to. That's the best way to say it. Like it helped me to be thorough and it's very powerful. All right. So a few weeks back, though, I discussed this waging war on sickness, waging war on lack and waging war on oppression. Amen. How many knows that's of the devil and God wants us to consider these things an enemy and to command it out in Jesus saying we have authority over these things. And so I'm going to kind of pick up where I left off with that uh, along those lines of thinking that we're waging war on those things. All right. So how many have read the Gospels at some point in your life? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You've read through them. Now, how many remember reading that Jesus would say this? He would say something like the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's kind of what I'm talking about today. So let me, let me open with this. This is something just recently that I learned and really ministered to me. But based on the prayer, uh, last week I taught on how to pray based on the Lord's prayer. 
And so part of that is, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then it says, what, well, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? But what is lost in translation is that in the original Greek, really what that's saying, and this is important, is your kingdom come now, your will be done now on earth as it is in heaven. So see, a lot of times we take that as we're praying futuristically that the will of God be done. There's a, there's a place for that. We are praying for that, obviously. But what that's actually saying there in the Greek, and you can look this up for yourself, it's saying in a, in a tense that means now, like it is something that God is wanting to release in the earth. So your kingdom and your will come into this realm and be established right now. That means the enemy's kingdom is pushed out and the kingdom of God. So let me say it this way. How many sick people are in heaven right now? Zero. How many uh, poor people? Zero. How many people that are living in some type of an oppression of the enemy? Zero. How many are in some kind of bondage to the devil? None. So you see what I'm saying? What God is saying is this. You remember Acts, was it 1038, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good healing, all oppressed of the devil. So he came in, the kingdom of God has come upon you, meaning the kingdom of hell is being destroyed and cast out. And God's kingdom and purposes are coming now into this place where every person's life that is not lining up with the will of God right now, this is a now thing, God's kingdom and his will come into your life now. Invade. So let me explain it as I go. The realm of the spirit, Luke seventeen twenty. we know that the father is in heaven and Jesus is at his right hand. So who is in us? The Holy Spirit. Who is with us right now? The Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I won't leave you as an orphan. I won't leave and forsake you. I will send the Holy Spirit and he will be your comforter. So we need him. Now, Luke 17, 20, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, here it is or there it is. For remember, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, what does that mean? See, we read over things like that and we think, oh, well, it's a, it's a nice saying, but we really don't ponder it. What that's saying here is about the Holy Spirit in you. And let me show you another scripture, John seven thirty seven. And this is when Jesus went to Jerusalem celebrating tabernacles. He said, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Hoshana Rabbah, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, and he's saying this because the priests pour out water before the Lord and they're asking for the former and latter rains on this day. And so there's a lot of water being poured out at the temple. And Jesus stands up and he's getting everybody's attention. You know, hear ye, hear ye, listen to me. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood out and cried in a loud voice, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me to drink. And he who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believe in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's saying that the kingdom of God is within us. That is the Holy Spirit in us. And then he's saying that the Holy Spirit through true believers will flow through us like rivers from your belly. And so, 
Let me keep going. I think this will make more sense as we go. So as I already mentioned, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's, it means now in the Greek. So look at this. In John 1, 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. This is about Jesus, and John's talking about his coming. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world didn't even know him. He came to save his own. His own people did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, he gave the power to be sons of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word, the word talking about Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That means tabernacled among us in the Greek. And we saw his glory and the glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. But Jesus came, became flesh and tabernacled among us. At one time, and he's coming again, I know. And Jesus goes on to say, you will see greater things than these when he called Nathanael. Nathanael was amazed that Jesus saw him under the fig tree. And Jesus said, you're going to see a lot greater things than this. Truly, I tell you, hereafter you will see heaven open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, Nathanael had to think about Jacob's ladder, I'm sure, in his mind. But anyway, here's what I'm getting at. Wherever Jesus went... There was like an open heaven because the demonic realm was not able to go overhead and bring an oppression over him because Jesus walked sinless. See, if, if people are living in any type of unrepentant sin, the heavens are going to be brass. Their prayers are going to be hindered. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. The heavens were open, angels ascending and descending. And Jesus carried the Holy Spirit. And it, whenever he went places, he released the power of the Holy Spirit into those situations. In fact, there was a time that even the Pharisees were there and Jesus was ministering at a house and it said the power of God was present to heal the sick. So Jesus was releasing the kingdom of God. He walked under an open heaven. He walked in the fullness of the power of the Spirit. And wherever he went, he released the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God. Is this making sense tonight? All right, so let me show you an example of a direct confrontation with demon powers. So Jesus was confronting demonic spirits in public in Luke eleven fourteen, And I'm going to show you two different accounts of it, one in Luke and one in Matthew, because they read just a little different. I'm going to show you. It says, Jesus was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowd marveled. So again, you see that Jesus is healing of somebody that could not talk. It was not just a physical condition, but it was produced because there was a demonic spirit causing it. And so when he cast the spirit out, the man was healed and could speak. But some of them said, listen to this, this is typical of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I mean, how pathetic is this? Let me tell you, they're alive and among us today. You just wait till God starts moving. They're going to come up out of nowhere and start doing what these people are doing. So there were people that looked at what Jesus was doing. Here's the Son of God casting out a demon. And listen to what they say. He cast out demons through Beelzebub, above the ruler of demons. So in other words, they're saying he's satanic and he's doing this by the power of Satan. Basically calling him like a sorcerer or something. Others tested him and asked him for a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to him, Every, look, Jesus starts explaining it. Here's, I can just imagine him thinking to himself, this is common sense here, guys. 
A kingdom divided against itself is made desolate. It can't stand. A house divided against itself falls. If Satan is also divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons through Beelzebub. Now, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because they had people that could do it. Therefore, they will be your judges. But if, listen to this, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, no doubt what? The kingdom of God has come upon you. The finger of God means authority. So Jesus was saying, I cast them out with the authority of God to drive them out. I have authority over them. And he says, when a strong man fully armed guards his own place, his goods are peacefully kept. But when a stronger man, then he attacks and overpowers him. He seizes all the armor in which the man trusted, divides his spoils. So we're called to bind the strong man and deal with the strong man. But in Christ, we have authority over these things. So it's important that you understand that before I move on, that you and I as believers actually do have authority over demon powers. So the Bible says that we will tread upon snakes and scorpions, overcome all the power of the enemy. So you need to know the authority that you have to command the enemy to go. I try to say this a lot to people when I preach because I don't think a lot of people have ever been taught this. But if anything's ever harassing you, you have authority. You don't have to call me. You can submit your life unto God and resist the devil and he must flee. You can out loud say, I bind you. Get out of here now in Jesus' name. And it has to go. All right, so Jesus said with the finger of God, he drives him out. Now, Matthew twelve twenty two, this is this is like, I'll show you what I'm trying to say here is that it's not just the finger of God, it's the kingdom of God, it's also the spirit of God, okay? When you use your authority, the Holy Spirit backs you up, okay? Let me show you. Then what possessed with a demon was brought to him blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both saw and spoke. And all the people were amazed and says, is this not the son of David? Now, here we go. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this man does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, again, same teaching, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself cannot stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. Then how will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, then by who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they'll be your judges. But look, he says, but if I cast out demons by what? The Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So these two scriptures complement one another because we're called to stand in our authority and use our authority and the Holy Spirit will back us up. The Holy Spirit is the one that releases the kingdom of God. See, when I'm standing in my office of authority and I'm commanding the enemy maybe going through and praying for somebody and a demon manifests, which has happened many times, and I start taking authority over that thing. I bind you in Jesus' name out. When I start using my authority, the power of God comes and the Holy Spirit enforces that. So in other words, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not us, but the Holy Spirit, it's the kingdom of God has come upon that individual. To drive out the kingdom of Satan and bring in the kingdom of God. But there's a great warning. So let me just read this because it's in context to this. It's a great warning for all the God mockers and blasphemers and the anti-Pentecostal, anti-revival crowd, the modern day Pharisees and Sadducees that think that they really know the Bible. They very, some of them very, very arrogant people. 
Matthew 12, 31. Therefore I say to you, all kinds of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, neither in this world nor in the world to come. So those that are out there that are God mockers, that hate revivals, they hate moves of God, every time somebody gets delivered or healed, they think, that's of the devil, you better watch your mouth. Because you're not speaking against men, you're speaking against the Holy Spirit, because man can't do that. You know, you could put a gun to somebody's head and tell them, you better heal that person. Do you really think that they could? Who actually causes the actual healing? The Holy Spirit. So when they're saying that this stuff is of the devil and it's demonic, Jesus in context is saying, you're accusing me of doing something by demon powers, and I'm doing this by the Holy Spirit. You're calling the Holy Spirit a demon, and you're calling me demonic, and you're speaking against the Holy Spirit. You'll be forgiven if you speak against me, but you keep speaking against the Holy Spirit, you won't be. So be careful when you're dealing with the things of the Spirit of God. All right. It is our responsibility to drive the enemy out and release the kingdom of God into situations. Mark sixteen fifteen. he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And what does it say? These signs will accompany those who believe. Who? Those who believe. Does it say the pastor? No, it says those who believe. How many believers are here? How many believe that you can walk in this authority to where signs follow you? You can pray for the sick. Here, and it says it, in my name, they will cast out demons. So if you're a true believer in Christ and you walk in your authority, you can cast demons out of people. Amen? It says they'll speak in new tongues. How many want to speak in new tongues? How many already do? <laughs> I'm for this place is full of people baptized in the Holy Spirit. It says, they will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. I don't have time to teach on that, but it means supernatural protection. Even Paul on the Isle of Malta was bit by a serpent, deadly. Everybody watching him, nothing happened. And that opened the door for that whole place to start believing in Christ. So there's supernatural protection. And then it says, and they will what? Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. How many times have we seen that? So I just think here recently, not too long ago, a specific situation where, um, you know, it happened to be Sean was here, had, you know, his legs were really bothering him. It's caused a lot of problems for him, not only his health, but financially and possibly with his employment. Hands laid on him, prayer. What happened? Gets up the next day, his legs are totally healed. We will lay hands on the sick and they will recover, okay? How many times? There was a young man just last week that came uh, from up north, the panhandle, came down here and was asking my wife and I to stay after a prayer meeting to pray with him because he knew he'd gotten mixed up in a lot of sexual sin and, and, and drugs and different things, and he opened himself up to demonic spirits. He knew he needed to be delivered, and he was tormented. And so as we began to pray for him, nobody was here. It's my wife and I. Actually, Dad stayed back. And when we were praying for him, he began to shake and cry, and the power of God came on him, and demons, at least four, came out of him. Listen, we will drive out demons. And I, if I have seen one thing, I have seen many, many people delivered from demonic spirits through the years. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come upon them. It's not our human effort 
It is not our human might. It is by the Spirit these things happen. When you, when you walk up to demonic powers, the kingdom of God is now, it's a direct confrontation between demonic powers and the kingdom of God's power colliding. Who do you think is going to win? God every time. So the demonic doesn't stand a chance. And so you begin to drive out the enemy. The only reason the enemy won't leave is if he has legal permission because the person has something somewhere that needs to be dealt with. All right. But we have authority to drive the enemy out and release the kingdom of God. In John fourteen twelve, here's an amazing scripture. Truly I say to you, he who believes in me will do the works that I do also. And he will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. How I many knows Jesus raised a dead man three days in the tomb? And Jesus is saying, you're going to do this and even greater things. And he wasn't just talking to ministers. He's talking to all of us. So the only problem with all of this is not on God's end of it. It's between our ears. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We're the ones that, that get it complicated and, oh, I don't know about all that and doubt. And Listen, get out of that realm. Get into a realm of faith. God is wanting us, we are carriers of the Holy Spirit, and greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And God's wanting us, when we walk into places, that the kingdom of God has come upon that place. When we walk up to people to minister, the kingdom of God has come upon them. Not because of us, but because of the Holy Spirit in us. All right. And then preaching the truth regarding healing and sin. I want you to think about some things here. This is, I don't want to lose anybody because this could be a little confusing, so I need to be careful how I present this. But how ridiculous would it be if we presented salvation the same way that a lot of the religious crowd presents like healing and deliverance? Because you know, you've heard it, I'm sure you have, that people don't believe in healing or they they justify reasons why we're not seeing this, that, or the other. But what if, what if you took that same line of thinking that people use to justify not seeing healings and you applied that to somebody giving their life to Christ? Let me show you what I mean. If we went out of here tonight and we each talked to some lost person about Jesus, would any of us be foolish enough to be like this about it? Ready? Would any of us say to that person, well, maybe it isn't God's will to save you? That would be a special kind of stupid, right? Or what would we say? I mean, would any of us say something like, perhaps your sin is for God's glory? <laughs> How many knows that ain't true? <laughs> what about perhaps God is using this sin to chastise you? That would be ridiculous. Or if we said, be patient in your sin until God's will is to save you. No. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Or what if we said to them something this ridiculous? The day of salvation has already passed and you missed it. It died with the early church. <laughs> anyway, so if we took that same type of weird approach that people take about healing and deliverance and applied it to sin it sounds utterly ridiculous because it is but the same cross that paid for sin 
is the same cross that paid for sickness and deliverance at the same time. It was a package deal. God didn't give us a whole bunch of little, you know, provisions, if you will. No, everything we need went to the cross at one time paid in full. But Satan uses religious people to have these type of attitudes that kills faith. You know, I had somebody tell me one time, and I do not agree with this. Is that, well, you know, you have all these different types of people come in and preach that to your people that have all these different beliefs and bring it along. And that, I was like, well, it depends on what you're talking about because it could kill faith and it could confuse people. They have people come in that preach all kinds of nonsense. But how, how in the world could you even get somebody to believe for healing if you, let me, here we go, ready? So what if whenever you're praying for sickness, Jesus paid for sin and sickness at the same time on the cross, right? But somebody says to the sick person, maybe it isn't God's will to heal you. Right there, you just killed their faith. The same way if I went out here to witness to somebody and this person's under conviction and they realize, hey, I'm going to hell. I need help. And then you look at them and go, well, maybe it's not God's will to save you though. You would kill their faith to believe God for salvation. Or they say this ridiculous, perhaps your sickness is for God's glory. Or perhaps God is using this sickness to chastise you. Or be patient in your sickness until perhaps it is God's will to heal you one day. Or the day of healing die with the early church. See, it's the same problem. What it is, it's religion. And a religious spirit comes in and makes Christianity powerless because it kills people's faith. When you start preaching like that, it it will totally deflate the room, and nobody will have the faith to believe for anything. Well, it gets weirder. So there are certain groups that believe that and we do, that Christians can be delivered and need to be delivered many times. But they don't, listen, this is the craziest thing. So my wife and I, because of her testimony, we have been in places that probably we would have never been in. I I am as spirit-filled in the way I live, preach my doctrine as it is possible to be. But I have been in places that are against that. And it was the, what opened the door was her testimony. But here's the weird thing about it. I've gone in places that would be, they don't believe in tongues, they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit at all. They're against it. But they do believe that Christians can need to be delivered from things. Thank God for that. But here's the unfortunate problem. Y'all ready? So please grasp this. Remember me saying it could be confusing. They believe that Christians can need to be delivered, but they don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the power of God in their life to get them delivered. So therefore, the people don't get delivered unless they call somebody like my wife and I, which has happened many times. We minister, this lady called us to come to her house. Her church didn't believe in any of that stuff. And she had people there that needed to be delivered, and they were. So they know that Christians can need to be delivered, but they don't have the power to actually do it. 
because they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit in tongues. Does this make sense? It's confusing, but it, you're dealing with religious doctrines and things. And then this is the kicker because I've grown up around more spirit-filled circles, and this always irritates me. You would be surprised at the mainline denominations that have a lot of people in them. They're, they're international, and they flat out do not. Now, they're spirit-filled, tongue-talking. They have the power of God, and they do not believe that Christians can meet, need to be delivered from anything. So therefore, all the Christians, and I tell you there's many of them in their circles that need to be delivered from things, don't get it. They have the power to do something about it, but they won't. Isn't this crazy? So either way, y'all hear what I'm saying? This is the saddest thing to me. Either way, in both camps, they're allowing the devil to win because they refuse to deal with it. The only reason Satan can continue to torment Christians is because it's allowed. Hello? So again, Jesus dies on the cross. Blood drips from his body. Cursed as anyone who's hung on a tree. He became a curse for us. Jesus paid for our deliverance the same as he paid for our healing. So here's the question. How many have ever known somebody that's a Christian that actually needed to be healed? I have. I'm sure you have too. Okay, so here's the weird thing about this religious doctrines of demons. They will believe that if somebody accepts Jesus as their Savior, at that point, they're just set free and there will never be an issue with them needing deliverance. They'll believe that, yet they'll believe with the same breath that a Christian could need healing. Are you understanding how weird that is? The same Jesus that paid for this, those, both of those things at the same time on the cross, yet they'll believe one of them, it's like it's already done at the cross and the other one's not. Jesus paid for our healing and deliverance both at the cross, but you have to lay hold of it by faith. You have to kick the kingdom of darkness out and release the kingdom of God into that situation. You can't just assume because somebody's accepted Christ that they're automatically healed and delivered. They might still need some healing and deliverance in their life. How many have needed to be set free from something since you have believed? So we need to get back to some really good doctrine because how many knows that it is a reward for Christ's suffering when people get saved, when people get healed, and when people get delivered. The Lord wants His people set free. He doesn't want them struggling and besetting sins and addictions. He doesn't want their minds and emotions tormented any longer. He doesn't want the sickness that could very well be an oppression of the enemy to remain in their life anymore. He wants them delivered from the attacks of the enemy against them. Things that's even traveled down bloodlines that they don't understand, yet they're dealing with these unseen forces against them. God wants those people set free. And if that church will begin to preach on it and then go through and pray for people, you'd be surprised how many people be set free. And so what does the devil do? Think about it for a moment, kind of like the devil's advocate, just for a moment. If you were the devil, what would you do if you knew that if a church dealt with it, he would have to go on the run? What would you do? You would give them false doctrine so that they would never actually deal with it.
So I'm going to close with this. I believe that the fear of God is about to come back to the church. True revival. I really believe that we're about to have another major historic revival. I have studied historic revivals. I've preached on it here. So you're aware of these things. I talked about the days of Wesley all the way through the 90s revivals. We went through all of it together. Historic revivals. And I believe that we're in, in the 90s began the last day revival. And I believe that there's about to be another upsurge of that in a wave. Because even back in the 80s, there were prophets that were saying that there's about to be a major wave, but there's going to be one coming after, after it that will be far greater. And they'll usher in the coming of the Lord. And I believe that. I believe that, that it started in the 90s and it's waned and it's about to upsurge again and we're going to see an even greater revival than we did then but that revival is intended to bring in a harvest and it's intended to get us ready to meet the lord in the air and in that the fear of god will come back to the church true revival will have to work outside now listen to what i'm saying i don't want to lose anybody because this is my last point but it in my opinion, it's one of the more important aspects of this sermon. The fear of God is going to come again to convict of sin and deal with things, okay? But I've studied historic revivals, and true revival has always had to work outside of organized religion of that day. Even the, just one example, believe me, I could go through all of them, but for the sake of time, the Cambridge Revival when it came from Red River and moved into Cane Ridge and it exploded, that was kind of the climax of the revival. Barton Stone, the pastor there, said, you know, the, he was part of the Presbyterian church. Think about that. That was a Presbyterian revival. Think about how far, no offense to the Presbyterians, but how far they've come from revival. And the Baptists and Methodists were involved, but Barton Stone says the Presbyterian church is very sectarian. Like a party, you know, you have Democrat, Republican parties, a party spirit. That's what he called it. He said, it's like you have to be Presbyterian or we don't accept you. And so therefore he left the Presbyterian church to continue on with the revival. Do you hear what I'm saying? You let denominations and religious groups and institutionalized church, whatever you want to call it, all these different labels you can come up with. But the religious strongholds of the day of revival... God will have to work around them because if he goes into them, it will be pouring new wine into an old wineskin and it will destroy that wineskin and waste the wine on the ground because it'll be like throwing pearls to swine. They don't want it. So God will go around that. And in the days of Wesley, the reason why, and you know this, but the reason why Wesley never preached in churches is because they wouldn't have him. Why? He was preaching the gospel, how far things had fallen. But anyway, he had to go preach in the streets because the churches wouldn't have him. What happened? The great awakening that took place in Britain and America. That's what happened. God will have to work around and outside of the religious strongholds. So let me give you a few scriptures as I close this out because I've done made up my mind. I am not going to put any conditions on God. I'm not going to tell the Holy Spirit how to move. I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. If everybody just collapses or everybody stands, everybody shakes or whatever, I don't care. 
I just want God to come down and I want to harvest the souls and I want to see Book of Acts Christianity and I don't care about what it looks like and I don't care the persecution that comes with it. I really don't. So let me tell you some things here. With the fear of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit coming, people, once again, there's going to be sermons that's really going to convict people. In Matthew seven twenty one. It says this, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. How many call Jesus Lord right now in this room? Just wave at me. You call him Lord. You're a Christian, a believer. It says that not everybody that calls him Lord is actually going to go to heaven when they die. But it says, but only the ones that do the will of the Father who's in heaven. So in other words, you can call him Lord, but if you're not doing the will of God in your life, living out Christianity, you're not going to heaven when you die. You're just deceiving yourself. He said many, this is a scary scripture, not a few, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and you can't do that unless you're among Christians. Remember the seven sons of Sceva? Okay, they were religious people. And it says, we've done many wonderful works in your name. But then Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice evil. So Jesus is going to throw them into hell and he's going to say, I never really knew you. And you didn't live a righteous life. How many knows you can go to church and still live in sin outside of church? That type of hypocrisy is going to be exposed in this coming revival. The power of God, the fear of God is going to come and deal with it. And then also in 2 Corinthians thirteen fifteen, it says, examine yourselves. Here's the thing. It is not my responsibility to try to make people feel good about their salvation. Did y'all know that? I think a lot of people want to make others feel good about their salvation. That's not my responsibility. It's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Somebody can come in here and tell me for 10 straight minutes that I'm not going to heaven when I die. I don't care what they say. I know the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. I'm a child of God. It's not anybody's responsibility to try to make me feel good about my salvation. It's my responsibility, like the Apostle Paul, to try to make people make sure that everything's right. I'll show you. 2 Corinthians thirteen fifteen. Paul told the Corinthian church, you better examine yourself, seeing whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. I trust that you will know that you are not disqualified. In Philippians 2, 12, Apostle Paul said again, Therefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So it is my responsibility to tell people in love, you better make sure that you're the real deal. Because when I go do a lot of street evangelism, which I've done for many, many years, and I don't even know how many people I've talked to through the years, but I've always told people just real directly, listen, there's a lot of people call themselves Christians, but it's only going to be people that really know the Lord and really live the life that are going to be through those pearly gates, I'm telling you. And that's just the way it is. And then John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. I pray the Father, 
And he will give you another counselor that he may be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. For it does not see him, neither does it know him. But you know him, for he lives in you, and he will be with you. And John sixteen eight says, when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of sin in regards, uh, I'm sorry, and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I'm going to the Father. So we need somebody to teach us righteousness, right? And of judgment because the ruler of this world stands condemned. And I don't want to share in Satan's judgment. But if you do not know the Lord and you don't, you're not really truly his, you will certainly belong to the devil and share in his judgment. So the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts us of sin. How many since you've been a Christian, the Holy Spirit has convicted you of some sin in your life? Let me say it in love. If you've never been convicted by the Holy Spirit of your sin, you're not saved. So examine yourself because that is the sign. Is that the Holy Spirit is living in you and he won't let you get away with it. I know my wife, you know, she had grown up in a totally non-Christian home. So when she got saved, there was no, very little knowledge about what would be right or wrong as far as righteousness goes at all. And I remember she was telling me that she accepted the Lord, but all of a sudden, for no reason, she began to feel like she needed to quit doing this and start doing this. And she was telling me about that, and I was like, you know what that was? It was simply the Holy Spirit in you. You didn't know the Bible. You didn't go to church. But yet, right off the bat, when you accepted Jesus, it didn't take long until the Holy Spirit started saying, okay, we're not doing this anymore. As I live in this temple with you, and we ain't doing this no more. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what he actually, that's how he actually feels about it. I'm, I'm with you, and we ain't doing this no more. So um, she, she said, okay, Holy Spirit. And so God began to clean her up, and he'll liberate you. But the Holy Spirit, he will not let you get away with stuff. And if you keep resisting the Holy Spirit and keep on, and here's the scary, another scary scripture. In Revelation 3, 5, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And look at this. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Hello? So all those that believe a certain type of doctrine that that teaches along the lines that once you say some kind of prayer, you can pretty much live how you want and get through the pearly gates. It's not how it works. Your name can be blotted out of the book of life because it says it right there. And so Jesus said, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He was near, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. In First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 1, that there will be some that will fall away from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits, listening to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So we need to be careful in these last days. And my advice to everybody is make sure, number one, that you're really living the life. Because if right now, tonight, the rapture was to happen, you know, would every single person actually be gone? Or would there be a few people sitting here, scared half to death, not knowing what to do? Or if some type of a terrorist had snuck in and blew us all up, <clears throat> how many people are going to ascend and how many people are going to find themselves going down? Make sure that you know the Lord. 
Make sure that you really, truly know Him. You're born of God. The Holy Spirit is living in you. And once you're saved, listen, make sure that you start having a prayer life, that you start knowing the Bible for yourself, and that you start faithfully going to a powerful church that will preach the truth. It's sadly, we're living in a time where this weekend, okay, 2024 in America, used to 20, 30 years ago, whether you were spirit-filled or Baptist or whatever, 20, 30, 40 years ago in America, what I'm preaching tonight would have been preached across the board all across this nation. And that's the truth. They'd tell people, I mean, we're in Baptist churches back then, 20, 30 years ago. Did they not tell it like it was? They, they told you the truth, didn't they? And same thing with Pentecostal churches. But now, you're, I'm telling you, you'd have to drive a little ways. I guarantee you, I'm preaching this way, but I bet you there's not going to be too many other places this weekend that people are going to hear this. We need revival. And when the Holy Spirit comes, He will fall and He will come in a way of the fear of God and the conviction that will grip people. I remember, uh, and I close with this, but I remember Steve Hill and those altar calls of Brownsville. It wasn't like some great, uh, I'm trying to word this the right way. He himself said, this is his words. He said, I preach on moron level because he said, I want a little child to understand the gospel because it's not complicated. I remember a sermon he preached and the altars were filled and he preached on the word come, come to the Lord. I mean, this is not great, uh, like deep stuff, okay? We're not dealing with the meat of the word here. But Steve would give those altar calls the most simple message you could ever imagine. And people, I saw them, would come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, start weeping, some of them wailing, and they would run to the altar. I saw people run. And they, I mean, they were just in, back then there was that song, Run to the Mercy Seat. People would run, and you'd hear them weeping and wailing in the altars. They got saved. So it wasn't by human might 